0: hi everyone welcome back to the minute women podcast my name is grace and i'm linnea and this is the first episode we have recorded post launch day and
1: let us tell you we were blown away by absolutely absolutely by the response that we had to our podcasts the amount of downloads uh just it was beyond what we thought was going to happen
0: yeah a hundred percent like it's genuinely overwhelming (laughs) to see people actually enjoy the content that we made and like laugh alongside people like
1: us people like us they really like
0: us (laughs) We're getting the Oscar. We're uh, what's her name? Sally Sally (laughs) Field. Sally (laughs) Field. Actors are not my strong suit. You really like me. (laughs) Yeah, honestly, like I was every time we would get an update from Mark that was like this many downloads, this many downloads. I was like, not just my parents and me are listening to it. Right. Like, it's so exciting.
1: At first, I was telling Grace earlier that at first I thought that the number Mark was giving us was like just the amount of listens. And I was like, oh, crap. Like, that's literally just me listening
0: (laughs) (laughs) over and over and over. I, I messaged Linnea the day that the podcast came out because we only got to hear the final cut the same time everybody else did so when they finally got posted and I got to listen to them I was just like how many times can I listen to my own podcast and have it not be like total narcissism I got a range of answers from that question (laughs) someone told me once and I was just like well
1: what did your brother say because that was funny
0: which one I don't know. Oh, yeah. My younger brother, Aiden, who's the one who pukes on uh, red potato skins. (laughs) Aiden, you're getting a second shout out. I texted him and I was like, is it narcissistic for me to be listening to my own podcast? And he was just like, well, if you're already wet, you don't need to wear a raincoat. (laughs) And that, I was like, well, that's brotherly love. For that you. is the quote of the show. <laughs> the quote of the show. Congratulations, Aiden. You've made it.
1: Yes. <laughs> so, again, thank you all so much. We really do appreciate it. This is a little passion project for us, something that we really love. And it's just so awesome to share it with all of you and feel that reciprocated enjoyment. enjoyment.
0: <gasps> oh, my God. It's like we're friends or
1: something. Whoa. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, it, it's 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 really meaningful, and like, it means that we get to keep doing it, and that makes me super excited. So thanks, yeah. guys. Yeah. So do we want to dive into this week's episode of Minute Women? Yes, we do. All right. So this week's episode is James Naismith and the invention of oh, basketball. Oh yes. yes. <laughs> get me those peach baskets. I
1: am ready.
0: Yeah. So if you don't know this minute. Uh, as always will have the link to the minute in the uh, description of the episode, so maybe you want to go watch it before we do the before you listen to the podcast, um, yeah. or not. You can just listen to us talk about it. Um, but essentially, it's James Naismith, who is a Canadian man, and he invented the sport of basketball in Springfield, Massachusetts. And so the minute is them playing the first game of basketball. Um, but they're particularly concerned with the fact that they're going to have to return the peach baskets that they're using as baskets. he will need my baskets back. He'll need his baskets (laughs) back so they cut a little hole in the bottom to pop the ball out with a broom. Exactly. Exactly. But as we will get into, that is not the true story of the first game of basketball.
1: Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun.
0: Okay. So James Naismith was born to Scottish immigrant parents on November 6th, 1861. And he was born in Almonte, West Canada, which today would be Mississippi Mills, Ontario. Whoa,
1: whoa, whoa. 1861. I did not realize he was that old.
0: Oh, okay. When did you think basketball was invented? I don't, like. I guess he invented it as an adult, but. Yeah, but I just, yeah. It's interesting. Okay. Hmm. Well, yeah, 1861 is when he was born. Um, his can- his parents met in Canada. Margaret Young, his mother, was part of a large family that migrated to Lanark County in 1852. His father was 18 when he left Scotland um, and left his family. So he totally emigrated on his own. He like. was like, see ya. Yep. He didn't need anybody else. He's his own man. He's going to set up shop in Canada. I'm
1: moving to Canada.
0: Yeah. And then they met and they got married and they mm. had children. Uh, so he has, uh, James Naismith has... An older sister, Anne, and a younger brother, Robbie. However, the small family was torn apart when James was eight years old. Uh, in 1870, both James' parents died due to the typhoid fever.
1: Oh, another plague. Another plague. Uh, oh man. Thought this was gonna be a happy one. And we're already well, starting off
0: with death. We're already starting off with death. It's not murder this time, though. Not murder. Not murder this time. <laughs> So the three children then moved to a neighboring town called Benny's Corner, where they lived with their maternal uncle, Peter Young. All right. Yeah, so they still are in the family, at least. They got to stick together. Yeah. They got to keep their names.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Their Irish name. Yeah, well, well, Scottish Scottish name.
0: name. Their Scottish name. Can't conflate those two. Whoa. Would not want to offend our Scottish slash Irish demographic. Benny's Corner was a small town with a blacksmith shop, a schoolhouse, a store, and a few residences. Just a boom in Metropolis. <laughs> <laughs> Benny's Corner became home to James. Benny's Corner was my home community, James recalled in his autobiography. Both at play and at work, I was closely associated with the people of the district, and recalled recall distinctly some of the lessons I learned as a boy.
1: Aww. So, He sounds like a nice guy.
0: He is, and as we go through it, like... As I was writing the episode, I just kept envisioning Teddy Roosevelt. Like, he's (laughs) such a Teddy Roosevelt in terms of, like, men's men and, you know, sport has to be at the forefront of your life from a very early age. And if you want to be a man, then you have to be physically active. Like, such similar philosophies on life. They even kind of wore the same glasses. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. The lessons he is referring to, uh, the lessons he learned as a boy, were not ones he learned at school. Okay. As a child, James was not particularly a fan of school and struggled in his education, but he loved the outdoors and would spend the majority of his time with the boys in Benny's corner playing games and sports. He described how he first felt fully accepted into the community when he made his own pair of skates. <laughs> Isn't that the
1: most Canadian thing It's so ever.
0: cute. I'll, I'll tell you the story of like how it came to be, but I will note. That in his autobiography, at least for the first chapter, he talks about himself in the third person, which to me is always a sign of crazy. <laughs> like if you're writing a book about yourself and you're just like, well, there was once a boy. His name was James Mason. <laughs> this is not good. We're off to a, like a bad start. It's I think. like he had an internal monologue. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So he says one of the boys in Benny's corner group was an orphan who made home with his uncle. So he's referring to himself. Oh, It was the first night of skating and this boy stood by the fire on the river and watched the other fellows gliding over the ice. The lad did not have any skates and he was too proud to ask his uncle to buy him a pair. So he left the river and went to his uncle's shop and there late into the night the neighbor saw a light burning. <laughs> So over the top. How would he know that the neighbor (laughs) saw light? Exactly. (laughs) If it's him. Exactly. So the next evening, when the group gathered by the river, this young fellow was among them, and over his shoulder hung a pair of skates. The skates were not like those of the other boys, but they were made from a pair of old files set firmly into strips of hickory wood. Years later, when necessity arose, the same inventive lad gave to the world not a pair of homemade skates, but the game of basketball. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) Just preach, James. So from an early age, James demonstrated ingenuity and inventiveness.
1: And so humble.
0: And is so James. James humble about it? <laughs> I love he like probably wrote that and he was like, this is great.
1: <laughs> like in a Christmas
0: story. <laughs> when yes, Ralphie exactly. writes his theme. Yes. <laughs> Just... Never had the words flowed from my penny pencil. <laughs>
1: And then the teacher, A-plus, plus, 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 oh. (laughs)
0: Ralphie, Ralphie. This is just going to be a Christmas story podcast. That's a total side note. It was also during his early time that eventually inspiration for basketball was introduced to James. One of the favorite games played by the boys was called Duck on the Rock. Would you like to guess what Duck on the Rock
1: is? Is it Duck, Duck? goose
0: no it's nothing like duck duck goose okay, duck, i had never heard of it duck on the rock duck on the rock it's also sometimes duck on a rock <laughs> don't think that matters though uh, i am imagining i'm
1: imagining gentlemen walking around
0: <laughs> making kind of pretend like a culty duck beaks
1: out of their hands <laughs> Pringles, Pringles. <laughs> jumping on rocks.
0: <laughs> so close. I'm a duck so on close. a rock. <laughs> duck on the rock is supposedly a medieval game that is a combination of taguret and marksmanship. <laughs> <laughs> the rules are fairly simple. A decent sized rock or the duck is placed on a larger rock or a tree stump. One player is designated to guard the duck. The other players stand behind a line and attempt to knock the duck off its platform oh, by throwing stones at it. Oh, okay. So essentially you have people behind like a baseline. So like a low scale capture the flag. Capture the flag yeah, with little yeah, yeah, imagination. Yeah, yeah capture yeah. the flag is if there's like no contact. Right. You, can't, you have to stand in your place and throw rocks at the flag and try and knock it off its pedestal, essentially. Nice. Once the duck is knocked off its platform, the throwers have to rush to gather their throwing stones and then return to the throwing line. The guard, meanwhile, has to place the duck back on its platform and then try to tag the throwers before they can get back to the throwing line. If someone is successfully tagged, then they become the guard.
1: So this is James and his friends throwing rocks at each other.
0: Absolutely. Okay. (laughs) It's so violent in my brain. Got it. It's just like, well... If you don't mind, would you please stand here and we'll hurl <laughs> stones at you? Not on purpose. We're trying to hit the thing behind you. Only if you don't mind. Only if you don't mind, because we are gentlemen. <laughs> we are sirs.
1: <laughs> we don't like school, but we like the outdoors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: The game on the surface doesn't really resemble basketball in any way. However, the throwing mechanic would later influence James. James discovered that to hit the duck most effectively, it was more productive to throw a soft lobbing shot that would arc over the guard rather than straight hard shots directly at the duck, which is really unfortunate for the guard who has to kind of like be the test subject for all of this.
1: So instead of pelting (laughs) the small child
0: in... It's just like also if you are really passionate about this game, the only way to defend it is to like fling your body in front of rocks. I'm literally
1: picturing the smallest child who they just like pick on, yeah. and he's just like,
0: uh, uh, uh. he just goes home covered in bruises. Like, oh my god, are you getting bullied at school or something? And he's he's like, like,
1: no, I'm making friends. <laughs> I'm playing this really fun game where the boys throw rocks at me. <laughs>
0: yeah. It's biblical. It's just like
1: stoning. And it's the 1800s. So his mom is like, stupid boy, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go exactly. fetch milk from the cow.
0: <laughs> they don't have band aids yet. They no. don't even know to ice stuff. <laughs> no. Well, it's the middle of summer. So we won't see ice for another couple months. <laughs> Off to bed. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm sorry that your shins are broken.
1: (laughs) We have no natural remedies for that. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I got nothing.
1: Slap a mustard plaster on it.
0: You'll (laughs) be good to go. Don't you know that the Civil War is happening right now? People (laughs) are suffering more than you. (laughs) Uh, But James is still decades away from inventing basketball. We still have a long route to get to the actual invention of basketball. Despite his love for sports and the outdoors, James' ultimate goal was just to help people. For several
1: years, he did he stated, say that in his autobiography? Absolutely. Of course he did. That
0: is true, and it's a good point that autobiographies are not necessarily the best sources in history because yeah. in your own brain you revise things and you want to present yourself in the best light. So I use his autobiography a lot, but that's not
1: necessarily the best source. So note, James Not humble.
0: Yeah, he's not humble about it. Yeah. But, you know. Sit down, James. Sit, yeah. Be humble. Take a seat. (laughs) Be humble, as Kendrick Lamar once said. (laughs) He did (laughs) did. So for several years, he stated, I have been wondering what I wanted to accomplish. Finally, I decided the only real satisfaction that I would derive from life would be to help my fellow beings, which is kind of nice. That is
1: kind of nice.
0: So in the fall of 1883, Naismith left his work as a farmhand in Almond and s- decided to study theology at McGill University in Montreal.
1: Wow!
0: He was determined to graduate and enter the ministry. So he wants to be a priest. Huh? He or a priest or a minister? I guess okay. it depends on what uh, what religion you're part of. But that's how he envisioned helping people. Like that was the easiest way for him to help people. So that's he decided cool. to enter the ministry. Good for him. Yeah, so he was determined to graduate. And at the time, becoming a priest or a minister was... Yeah, like I said, like the most basic way that you could partake in something like social work. Right. Um, there isn't really established social work yet. Like social services. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like a lot of it goes through the church. Yep. So Nate Smith had managed to earn a fellowship to study at McGill despite missing several years of high school. <laughs> I feel like McGill's standards have since risen. <laughs> oh, to be alive in the 1800s. I know. It's like, well, I didn't really finish school, but can I study at like McGill? And they went, yeah, sure. Do you want yeah. some money? <laughs> wait 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 did you say you're a man
1: (laughs) you look like teddy roosevelt (laughs) here here
0: put on these glasses yep that's a young teddy we have right there (laughs) the resemblance is striking (laughs) um but because he did miss those years he did have to make them up at mcgill so he needed to essentially study extra time he was like double timing at mcgill Mm. um he spent long hours studying and he seemed to have forgotten everything else that he had enjoyed in life. Like he was so devoted to education and like being a success and right. getting through the program that he sort of abandoned everything that he would have associated with back home. So right. he's not going outside, he's not partaking in sports, blah blah blah. One evening, however, two juniors at the college knocked on Naismith's door. The boys, as Naismith said, were Jim McFarlane and Donald Dewar, teased Naismith for constantly studying and asked why he never partook in the campus activities. Naismith was grateful for their advice, but explained he needed to commit his time to studying and did not have time for sports. James, stop being such a loser. Yeah, it's literally two bros like coming to the door and being like, yo, nerd, (laughs) get out your dorm room.
1: And he's all like, I I just want to help
0: people. Do you see the glasses? <laughs> the glasses are on. That means I study. I gotta I gotta be a priest, guys. <laughs> but the advice that he was given lingered with him. So he keeps kind of remembering that these guys are like, Why are you constantly studying?
1: I remember when I used to throw rocks at small
0: boys. Yeah, I remember the good old days. Wasn't on the rock. <laughs>
1: making Making my own skates
0: duck on a rock (laughs) or duck on a rock sorry (laughs) he realized sport would likely be for his own benefit to ensure that he remained fit and healthy which is a good thing that is a I think a realization every college student has at some point it's like I can't just sit in my room and eat one-minute ramen for the rest of my life. I probably should go for a walk.
1: Kraft dinner cups, like the KD (laughs) cups, came out like right before my first year of university. Oh, no. It was dangerous. I don't think I've ever actually had one. Oh, no. The amount of times people put those in the microwave without the water (laughs) in them, the
0: fire alarms would go off.
1: No. It's a disaster. (laughs) It's a rough time.
0: Yeah, I remember being in the arts lounge at Cape Breton University, and... I came in and I was like, wow, it, it smells like fire in here. <laughs> and someone was like, yeah, someone tried to heat up some stuff in a wicker basket. <laughs> <laughs> Not a joke. <laughs> what so then we weren't allowed to have a microwave i thought you were gonna say you weren't allowed to have wicker baskets and i was like those probably got they got rid of those too probably how many
1: people were just walking to class with their wicker baskets
0: over their shoulder it just goes to show that like one person can ruin everything for you <laughs> idiot idiot i had to walk all the way to the cafeteria to heat up my food god the worst the worst The next afternoon, Naismith went to McGill Gymnasium to see what was going on. From then on, Naismith was a regular at the gym. He's a total gym bro. He was introduced to gymnastics and was added to the football team when he volunteered to replace a teammate who broke his nose during a scrimmage.
1: So James totally punched that guy (laughs) and was like, now I take your spot. I
0: need to get on this team. (laughs) You can either earn your way or you can just be sleazy. (laughs) Break a dude's nose. (laughs) The substitution resulted in him playing on the McGill football team for seven years, which also means like, I think just because he was making up time, that's why he was there so long. Seven
1: years. But yeah, he went to McGill for seven years. But, but, but like, when did he start on the football team? Was he already at McGill before that?
0: Good point. I don't know. I, I, I think it was during his first year, but I don't know for sure. Weird. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe if like theology is a longer program, maybe just all programs were longer at that time. But yeah, he went to McGill for seven years. This was despite the fact that football was not seen as a proper sport for a student of theology. Naismith recalled that football at the time was supposed to be the tool of the devil, and it was much to my amusement that I learned that some of my comrades gathered in one of the rooms one evening to pray for my soul. Okay, what? <laughs> Which is funny because football, especially Whole American of, football, is one of like the most religious sports. It's now. like
1: it's like God's sport. Like you yeah. go, you. Just watch the movie The Blind Side, okay?
0: Oh, absolutely. They score a touchdown and they're, like, pointing at God. Every football
1: team, like, does a huge prayer. Like, yeah. Whoa.
0: (laughs) But at this time, the other theology students are like, oh, gosh. Naismith is on the wrong path. He's playing football. (laughs) He's playing the devil's sport. The devil's sport. In Naismith's last year of theology, an incident occurred that would redirect his career away from the ministry and towards athletics. During a football game, our left guard was struggling and lost his temper. The guard became began to curse and swear, as you do as <laughs> when you lose your does. temper, as we do. That Mark gen- generously cuts out. Thank you, Mark, <laughs> to save our reputation. However, once he cooled down, he whispered an apology directly to Naismith, saying, I beg your pardon, Jim. I forgot you were there. Naismith couldn't understand why he had received an apology. He hadn't said anything about the profanity. So to him, it's like shocking that he's different from all the other guys. But it's because he's in theology.
1: And let's be real. He's probably the kicker.
0: (laughs) I think he plays offensive line. (laughs) But I mean, maybe he's the kicker, too. You don't know. I just, he's just this little guy trying to get into sports. I want to be an athlete. (laughs) The only reason he could come up with to explain why he had personally received an apology was that he managed to stay level-headed throughout the match, which made the guard feel embarrassed. So essentially, he's saying that, like, well, I was really calm through the whole incident. Like, we're not playing well, but I'm playing really, like, staying really level-headed. And this other guy was really hot-headed and then apologized to me afterwards, which I think it's more so because he was in theology. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's more so because they think he's going to go be a priest, so they He was the need probably to like,
1: Jesus Christ. And then he was like, oh, yeah. shit, My that Naismith kid is right here. Hey, Jimbo. Real sorry. <laughs> sorry, pal.
0: Put in a good word for me. For the upstairs. <laughs> tell, tell, tell the big guy I'm sorry. <laughs> so despite this being kind of like a small incident, it led Naismith to really consider his path for some reason. Okay. And so he goes down to the local YMCA and describes the incident to the secretary. And the YC- YMCA is still a very religious organization yeah. at this point in time. So. It's still very much related to the church. He told the secretary at the YMCA that he thought there may be a better path for him and a better way for him to assist his fellow man than through the ministry. So he's starting to reconsider. And I think it's because in that incident, he was like, oh, I was really level headed, and that guy was really hot headed. I set a really good example. And then he felt that afterwards and like reflected on it. Right. So he's he's seen the light. He's seeing a new way. He if he could set a good example for young men through sport, this may be more effective than preaching. The secretary told Naismith that a new program was being developed in a school in Springfield, Massachusetts that would now what we would now call physical education. So okay. physical education isn't really a discipline yet, but right. they're starting to teach it in some YMCA, like, training schools in the States. Okay. After this meeting and a conversation with his favorite professor, it was decided Naismith would finish theology and then move to Springfield to begin a career in physical education. Over the summer of 1891, Naismith visited YMCA's all over the United States and spent several days at Springfield College. And there he became fast friends with the Dean of Physical Education, Dr. Gulick. Again, names, they're hard. The following fall, he began working at the training school. So the main problem for the athletics department at springfield massachusetts is that it's in new england and they have really harsh cold winters yeah and so when you don't have big buildings or like big spaces the essentially the students get really rowdy because they can't play sports outside
1: right (laughs) just like kids oh i talked to my roommate who teaches (laughs) elementary school she comes home on a day when the kids couldn't have recess outside those are her worst days Those are her bad days.
0: And apparently it doesn't get better with grown men. Like, if you keep grown men indoors too much and they can't go outside and play for a little bit, they get real pissed off. They
1: also throw (laughs) shoes at your face.
0: (laughs) They will also throw throw shoes, rocks, anything (laughs) that they can find. The most popular sports for the men attending the school were soccer, lacrosse, and football. But these essentially had to be completely put on hold during the winter months. Right. So Gullick directed Naismith to come up with some kind of new game that would be played indoors and keep the students entertained. So he has this mission to create some kind of sport that they can play all year long, regardless of the weather. The only directions Gullick gave Naismith was that the game couldn't take up too much room, Mm -hmm. would keep the track athletes in shape, (laughs) and would be fair for all players and not too rough. So it has to be a fair game. There has to be some kind of cardio because we got to keep track boys in shape. (laughs) And it can't take up too much room in the school. (laughs) Initially, Naismith tried converting the more popular outdoor sports into indoor games. So they're trying to play soccer inside or lacrosse inside with modified rules. But this was done with very little success. All right. So he's
1: given this task. Yes. By this guy. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, how long has he already been there? Like what is what is the length of time that Naismith gets to Springfield after this guardian angel secretary <laughs> at a YMCA in Montreal sets him on his way.
0: So I'm pretty sure this is like his first year. Okay. It's either his first year or it's his it's his first like calendar year. So right. it might be ninety two by now, but I think we're still in we're still in 1891. Right. Okay. So while converting the popular outdoor sports didn't really work, he did learn that soft balls were better to use inside. (laughs) So something soft like a soccer ball would be the best kind of ball for an indoor sport. What a genius. (laughs) You know what? If we don't want this game to be too rough, let's uh, let's keep everything soft. Let's not throw rocks
1: at each other's faces. (laughs)
0: It's like, what if we just played Duck on the Rock, guys? It's like, no, James. (laughs) We've played it so many times. You keep trying to tell us it's really cool. We just don't want to. <laughs> uh-huh. James also decided to limit the physical contact of the sport that the ball would largely be moved through passing or carrying the ball, which are kind of like the only ways you can move a ball in sports. Yeah,
1: and unless you're thinking about like kicking oh, or using another tool. So like hockey or I don't oh, know if hockey yeah. was invented at the time. I yeah, I know think that. hockey was around. I'm Canadian, actually. Uh, or something like lacrosse where you're using a stick or something. So I suppose it's just like handheld, like that lack of equipment. Yeah,
0: that's true. Good point. And then to further limit the physical contact of the sport, the goal was placed well above the players' heads. So the way that you get a point has to be like out of reach, essentially, which is where you get the basketball being or the basket in basketball being well above their heads. Okay. To score the goals, this would force players to throw soft, lobbing shots that had proven effective in his old favorite game, Duck on a Rock. Ding ding <laughs> ding, ding. ding ding ding. We're connecting all the dots today, folks. <laughs> Nate Smith came up with some rules that were posted on the gymnasium bullet boards. So they found Naismith's Smith's diary in like the attic of his like granddaughter's house or something Whoa. like that. Really cool. So we have his diary entries from those from around the time that he's actually inventing the sport. That's pretty neat. Yeah, which is really cool. That's pretty cool. And the diaries show that Naismith was nervous that the students wouldn't like his new game. Oh, he's such a softy. He's just like, I just really want them to like it, guys. He
1: just <laughs> wants people to like him. <laughs> yeah. He's just like, how can I make friends? Yeah. How
0: can I help people? When some gym bros show up at his door, he's like, yeah, of course I'll go to the gym. <laughs> I'll, I'll abandon my studies. <laughs> On the day of the first game, which was December twenty first, I think it's really cool that you're like, we know the exact day that the first game of basketball was that played. That is really cool. Like you don't know that for a lot of other sports because they just happen more naturally. Yeah. But this game is so manufactured that you know the exact day that it was the first game was played. Yeah. So on January 21st, or December 21st, excuse me, Naismith took two peach baskets from the building superintendent. The building superintendent's name was Pop Steppins. Oh, wow. Of course it was. Of, of course. The janitor's name was Pop. <laughs> and he nailed the peach baskets to the gymnasium balconies. In my research, however, I couldn't find any evidence that Stebbins, the superintendent, insisted on having the peach baskets returned, which is the main crux of the Heritage Minute. It's
1: a shame because that's such a good line. I know. I need those baskets back.
0: Yeah, and so they have to poke like a little hole in the bottom instead of cutting out the whole thing, which I think the point of which is that no one knew how big basketball was going to be. Like, it's it's right. worth more than two peach baskets. Right. But and I, it, yeah, yeah, and it leads you to that net kind of shape. Yeah, definitely. And they were peach baskets. That yeah. is true. I just can't find evidence that he wanted them back. And I also couldn't find evidence that they cut little holes in the bottom to regain the ball. So in the Heritage Minute, they cut like a tiny little hole, and then they use a broom to kind of pop the ball out after right. each score to try and keep the game moving. But... I don't know if that's real or not. Couldn't find any evidence. I remember
1: someone when I was in junior high doing a heritage fair project on it. And I remember them having like pictures of Mm -hmm. the original. And I feel like it was like a small hole at first.
0: It might very well be. Yeah.
1: And then when the mesh came into play, that's when it (laughs) became bigger.
0: True. Yeah. I just didn't see anything. But it's probably true. Like, I wouldn't put that past them. So Naismith wrote in his diary, I busied myself arranging the apparatus all the time watching the boys as they arrived to observe their attitude that day. I felt that it was a crucial moment in my life as it meant success or failure of my attempt to hold the interest of the class and devise a new game. Well, isn't he just the sweetest thing? Also, I'm calling bullshit. There's no way you invent this sport and you're like, this is the pivotal moment in my life. That is so retrospective.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, that's what happens when you write an autobiography.
0: Yeah.
1: You can make yourself sound really,
0: really good. Yeah. In my autobiography, it's like I knew at four years old that I wanted to do a podcast. Did I know what they were? Absolutely not. Have
1: they even been invented yet? Nope. Nope. So actually, that brings me to an interesting point about another fellow Canadian. So I watched... I don't know, one episode of something where it was stated that William Shatner believes that he, (laughs) yes, believes that he invented the iPhone like (laughs) as a child, child. that he invented the iPhone and that he brought that idea to the behind the scenes creators, producers, whatever of Star Trek. Oh, I thought you were going to say like Steve Jobs. (laughs) No. I knew him. (laughs) Of Star Trek when he was on Star Trek and was like, oh, look, we could use these. Handheld. This is my William Shatner voice. We can use it's these handheld devices from the future because oh, I created it. Yeah, and then he tried to like sue BlackBerry or something because he was Blackberry? like, like BlackBerry, or iPhone, some oh type of handheld device because he was like, oh, I came up with that idea.
0: So there are some differences between the game that Naismith initially invented and what would become what we know as basketball. So unlike modern basketball, the class was divided into teams of nine. Interesting. And there's no dribbling. So you just pass and you can carry the ball. Hold up. Kind of like football. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so they're just running around with yeah. the ball. Yeah. And they can
0: toss it to each other. And they can toss it to each other. But and in then, the
1: first game of basketball, there's no dribbling. Right. And
0: then they shoot it in the
1: in the box. The, yeah.
0: Which will be a hoop. Which will be a hoop eventually. And Naismith clearly remembers that it was way rougher than it was intended to be. Okay. So this is his description of the first game of basketball ever played, which he gave in uh, a radio interview in the 1930s. Okay. So he remembers that, well, I didn't have enough rules. And that was my big mistake. The boys began tackling, kicking, punching in clinches. They ended up in a free-for-all in the middle of the gym floor. And before I could pull them apart, one boy was knocked out. Several of them had black eyes. Wowza. And one had a dislocated shoulder. That is the heritage minute I want to see. <laughs> I want I thought you were just going to say
1: some elbows were thrown, no. maybe a bloody nose. but
0: No, I want a heritage minute where it's boys who have never played a sport that is trying to minimize contact. And they're just like, well, sorry, and just bumbling it's like each other. like cavemen, the first time
1: they figured they could, like, throw and catch. They're like, <laughs> "Yeah, throw, catch, boom. <laughs> boom.
0: <laughs> like, that doesn't get shown in the Heritage Minute, and I think that's hilarious. That is a missed
1: opportunity. That is a missed
0: opportunity. <laughs> Historic in Canada, we want to redo. We want a revision. <gasps> Imagine if they redid some of the old Heritage Minutes accurately accurately and to a fault accurately with with better quality (laughs) better quality I like I like the haziness
1: but Pierce comes back Pierce Brosnan has to come
0: back yeah Yeah. I don't think we've stated on air but the five-year goal for this podcast yes with you know hoping that this goes five years because I'd want to do it forever is that we get to meet Pierce Brosnan because That's he's dream. in a heritage minute.
1: That is that is the low-key dream. That to is have
0: the low-key dream. Mr.
1: Bond.
0: So Naismith knew that he needed to change the rules so the game would be less violent. Later, um, he added dribbling to counteract some of that. He also added a backboard to the basket. So initially, there's no backboard. Um, okay. Interestingly, though, it's not added to make the baskets easier to make. It was added so that students couldn't run up in the balcony and block shots. (laughs) Wow. Because it's kind of like baseball where like fans can lean out and catch the ball and then it's a home run. You know what I mean? He needed some rules. Yeah. So initially basketball only had 13 rules. Wow. A lot of these are just like ways in which that it's illegal for you to gain possession of the ball. All right, that's Um, important. You're never allowed to bat at the ball with a fist, so you can't make fists. You have to bat at it with like open palms, which I think is still a rule, maybe? I don't know. I don't really know basketball that well.
1: You're definitely not allowed to punch the ball (laughs) or anyone else (laughs) else. while playing basketball. That is still a rule.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Initially, there's no rules around dribbling, but that is eventually added later on. In contrast to modern basketball, the original rules did not include the, what we know now as dribbling. Since the ball could only be moved up the court by a pass, earlier players tossed the ball over their heads as they ran up court. <laughs> so there's okay. no, like, chess pass or bounce pass. It's just, like, hocking it over your head. Huck it. Yeah. <laughs> Also following each goal, so they don't call them baskets yet. They just call them goals. All right. A jump ball was taken in the middle of the court. So every time someone scores, you don't inbound it. You do a uh, face off like in the center. Soccer. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So both of those practices are now obsolete in the modern rules of basketball.
1: It would take for freaking ever. <laughs> I feel like there was probably no stop play in original basketball as well, which is the thing about basketball now is that yeah. the last quarter of a basketball game, <laughs> the last the last three minutes take, take 45. Like, it's, it's insane. And that's an exaggeration. But it does take a very long time.
0: Yeah, and I feel like now that the Raptors have won a championship, mm-hmm. that was how I think the vast majority of layman Canadians became familiar with it. And oh, I sure. had never watched basketball before, really, it, it, seriously. But once they were in the Eastern Conference Championship, I was like, well, I guess I should watch. I guess I should And I got a... so into yeah. it.
1: They're, they were, I mean, they still are this season, but like yeah. last season, they were such a Cinderella team, such an easy team to love. I know. There's yeah. just so much to love about them. Yeah. Go
0: Raptors. So despite the early hurdles, basketball rose in popularity quite quickly. Students who learned the game at Springfield YMCA Training School would then take it to other YMCA locations. So that's neat. That was something that I really didn't know was that the YMCA is so fundamental to the spread of basketball
1: oh definitely yeah. like
0: if you play at one YMCA then you can move town go to the new YMCA and you'd be like oh yeah we play this game called basketball let's play it here too
1: yeah uh,
0: which was really cool on June 20th, 1894, James Naismith married Maud Sherman in Springfield, Massachusetts. Whoa, whoa, whoa. He was spending so much time on basketball. When did he have time I to find a lady? Shifted gears? Uh, he marries a lady named Maud. Nice. Nice. Good for fol- him. <laughs> the following year, they moved to Denver, Colorado, where Naismith was hired as the physical education director at the local YMCA while pursuing a medical degree at the Gross Medical School at Colorado University. What? Yep, he's a man of education, and he's Who going didn't back. finish high school. Didn't finish high school, but you know what? You go to McGill, you're like, hey, I got this. Just All give right. me the money, I'll figure it out. And they're like, you know what? You have the confidence of Teddy Roosevelt. I know you got it.
1: And you didn't say a doctorate, you said a medical degree. Like, this is a doctor of medicine he wants to be.
0: Yes. Wow. Didn't, didn't clarify that in my research. Uh, mm. I apologize to all the people out there. <laughs> but yeah, uh, he's just pursuing a medical degree now Good at Colorado him. University. And he graduated in 1898. Look at this guy go. I know. He's killing it. Thriving. Surviving. Uh, he was then hired at the University of Kansas the same year to be an associate professor of physical education and the chapel director. So he's going back to his roots. Still... Still doing the ministry stuff Still as well on the side. religion alive. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Let's keep Jesus in the conversation. Yeah. That same year, Naismith founded the University of Kansas basketball program, which as of 2017 is the second most winning collegiate basketball program in the country. I was going to
1: say, Kansas has an excellent basketball program.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't really follow um, college basketball that much, but they have... A great reputation and it all started with the dude.
1: Kansas always has a has a very solid team. They have a great they have a great
0: men's program specifically, but Yeah. And it's extra funny because Naismith is historically their worst coach. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> so despite him inventing basketball, he's notoriously not a good coach. Uh, he's actually the only University of Kansas coach with a losing record. So every University of Kansas basketball coach has a winning record except for James Naismith who invented basketball. Like, it's that one Canadian
1: guy. <laughs> yeah. He should have stuck to hockey.
0: <laughs> like his record is 55 and 60. Whoa. Everybody else. Which to be fair, you're close to the you're close to a tie. You're like 5 games shy. <laughs> but he's the only one. Perhaps this is because Naismith firmly believed that you could not coach basketball. You can't coach basketball. You just play it. <laughs> <laughs> it's an instinct. Oh my god! I love no that wonder, so much. No
1: wonder they had a brawl
0: the first game. <laughs> yeah.
1: I'm not gonna coach you fellas. You just play it. You just
0: feel it. I uh, I didn't go out there and get that ball in the peach basket. <laughs> yeah. It's like we don't use peach baskets anymore. What? What? Get the page baskets back. Where's Pop? He needs those baskets back. He's gonna need those baskets back, boys. It's like, okay, just don't just don't look. Just don't look. Don't look at James. And I, I didn't add it at the time, but he so when he posts the rules for basketball, the first student who sees it, he's like, Oh, another game. Like totally negative reception. Um Of course. (laughs) He's been trying so hard to get them to do something, and the kids are just like,
1: again. Uh, uh." uh. So sick of
0: Mr. Naismith. However, while at the University of Kansas, James Naismith did grow an impressive coaching tree, which makes sense because he's like... A coaching tree? Yeah, so you... The people that go on to coach that you... Educated or you coached, oh, they're part of your coaching tree.
1: Okay, I legit thought you meant that he
0: a legit tree he planted a tree, <laughs> and, nope. and it's
1: like he might have had the most losing record, but boy, did he plant a good tree!
0: Damn, those apples are good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's a Canadian maple right there. <laughs> yeah.
0: Three of his players would go on to be Hall of Fame coaches, oh. uh, namely Dean Smith. Adolph Rupp and Forrest Fogg Allen, who is now regarded as the father of basketball coaching. <laughs> That's <a laughs> Because name. not James Naismith was like, there's no way to coach. And Fogg is just like, I think there might be a way to coach. <laughs> <laughs> oh, FF Allen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so despite the growing popularity, Naismith long considered basketball more of a novelty than a sport. So even though he invented it, he's just like, eh. It's just a game. Like we play it when we can't play outside. It's like, not a sport. That like guts me to my core.
1: Why? Like I just I just love sports and I just love athleticism and participating <laughs> in something. And for someone to be like, I don't know, just hurts a little. Just
0: shrug it off. Especially because it's his invention. He's just kind of like eh. Well,
1: and it's like, you invented this cool thing. Just like don't be a butt about it. Own it.
0: <laughs> Own it. Be excited. James, you deserve it. Better.
1: He just sucked at basketball. Like really. And he sucked. He probably at coaching. wasn't good at it. And he was just like, oh, I'm sick of this.
0: Yeah. I'm a manly man and I can't play this game very well. That means it's not a sport.
1: And he probably prayed a lot. <laughs> yeah.
0: Please, Lord, make me a foot taller. I know I'm forty-five. Wanna but... be a little bit taller. Be... <laughs> we can't sing these songs. They're copyrighted. So In his mind, it had served its purpose to keep students engaged and keep them fit during the winter as an indoor game, but it wasn't a real sport. By the turn of the century, enough college teams were in the East that the first intercollegiate competitions could take place. But Naismith still regarded gymnastics and wrestling to be a better form of physical education. (laughs) They're not, like... mauling people enough. Well, it also tells me that he liked those tight little outfits (laughs) you wear. (laughs) It's like, why can't we wear a singlet in basketball? It's like, I just don't think it's necessary, James. But like, what if we wore singlets? (laughs) What if?
1: Just hear me out. What if we just slapped on some spandex? Yeah. And called
0: it a day. I also have a bunch of oil. Naismith watched his game as it grew in popularity, and he watched it be demonstrated as a like trial sport. At the 1904 Summer Olympics in St. Oh. Louis, um, which super cool because the 1904 Summer Olympics are notoriously the most catastrophic Olympics ever. Like I'm not going to go into it because it's such a okay. tangent. But there's amazing. I've heard. I've listened to other episodes of podcasts that talk about the 1904 Summer Olympics. The main event is that the marathon that took place yeah. was they they didn't really have a, a track so it was just on dirt roads so so many people had to drop out because they were just inhaling dust oh, so they couldn't horrible. finish the marathon and then if you wanted to like there were doctors following some of the players and they gave them like rat poisoning essentially because they're like uh, like stri- the marathon runners yeah they'll be like strychnine is better for you than water What? yeah no it oh absolutely horrible they gave them brandy and strychnine and the reason was because they wanted to test how long people could go without water like they turned the marathon into a scientific experiment this is like the st louis olympics are a catastrophe
1: this is scary hitler level medical
0: (laughs) experiments like that's yeah no it's horrible and that's when basketball was demonstrated for the first time on like an international level
1: and it was so successful because everything else went to shit
0: yeah absolutely So even though it is being demonstrated at the Summer Olympics, Naismith was not particularly interested in self-promotion or finding glory through basketball. Rather, his passion remained with physical education throughout his career. In 1910, he received an honorary uh, physical education master's degree. Okay. And then the following year, he published his first book called A Modern College. So s- throughout his whole life and throughout his whole career, it's still that call to help his fellow man that is driving him. And so in 1916, he enlists as an army chaplain with the Kansas Army National Guard and served with the 1st Kansas Infantry. How old is he at this point? Um, So he's born in 1861. So he's in his 50s. Okay. Yeah, he's not young. Um,
1: no. So that's what I was thinking, like yeah. to choose to enlist at that point. I mean, even I mean, not only, but I mean, going as a chaplain is like he's not
0: yeah, fighting on the forefront, but still like that's, no, And he has a wife and he has kids. Like, well, that's a big commitment. He has a life and yeah. he's choosing to enlist, yeah, which is pretty a, that's interesting. That's a big commitment. Um, it is 1916. And so he's enlisting with the American army, which means they're not in the First World War yet. Right. But I think he kind of knew where things were going. Yeah. Yeah. Um, From July to October of that year, Naismith and his regiment patrolled the national border with Mexico in response to a raid by the infamous revolutionary Pancho Villa.
1: Pancho Villa. Pancho Villa. (laughs)
0: <laughs> While at the border, Naismith provided religious services, counseled soldiers, and, of course, organized sports leagues. Of course <laughs> he keep did. up. <laughs> Come on, soldiers. <laughs> the United States entered the First World War in April of 1917, and Naismith again volunteered as a chaplain, this time through the YMCA. In September of 1917, he was sent by the YMCA to France as an overseas secretary tasked with improving the social hygiene of American troops, <laughs> which is venereal diseases.
1: I was going to say
0: social... Absolutely. Social social hygiene.
1: (laughs) Like, that's
0: STDs. Uh, Yeah, that's just syphilis. (laughs) It's like, I can't fight. I got syphilis. (laughs) I don't know what... I don't know how it happened. He's right. He's like, dear diary, oh my God. There is so much gonorrhea. (laughs) Honestly, my faith has never been this tested. (laughs) So he spent 19 months based in Paris and then returned to Kansas in March 1919. During this time, he published his second book, Essence of a Healthy Life. And he said... <laughs> <I'm> smith- not- <laughs> are, <you> still- <laughs> are Are we good?
1: <laughs> can we move on? We can move on. Okay. I just thought it was going to be Essence of Healthy, you know, after all of the... <laughs> it's
0: just... Where my mind went. Healthy wink. Wink. <laughs> Naismith's enlistment period greatly influenced his belief that racial segregation was wrong and that steps, though modest, should be taken to remedy it.
1: And he's living in Kansas. So
0: he's, yeah, he's still in like some Jim Crow states. Woof. Yeah. And so like throughout his life, he's not a huge proponent for racial equality by any means like I don't want to put him quite on that level but after he serves he does feel like oh there shouldn't be segregation to the same extent and a lot of people especially white people who feel that way believe that segregation needs to be eradicated but slowly yeah like we need it like we can't just give them rights immediately but we should ease them into being full citizens which is especially I mean kind of messed up but
1: he's living in the south He's in a higher class position and he's with the church. I mean, he's he's not exactly in a position to just come up and be like, yeah, let's fix this. Let's change this. Let's do something now.
0: Yeah. And I think what the enlistment period showed was that he's very cushioned from all of those problems his whole life. And then very suddenly he is not cushioned from those problems anymore. So he's like, oh, this isn't great. During the 1930s, he would not or could not get African-Americans onto Kansas's varsity Jayhawks, but he did help engineer the admission of black students to the university's swimming pool. Up until then, they had been given automatic passing grades on swimming tests without entering the pool so the pool could remain all white, Aww. which is so messed up, which also I don't know what program requires you to pass a swimming test. I guess it's their physical education program. But. I will
1: say a lot of people I know who grew up in the states. Yeah. And went through school. M- almost all the schools have a pool.
0: Really? Yeah. It's. I guess I see that on TV and stuff. Yeah. But. In
1: in movies. <laughs> is it real? <laughs> yeah. Apparently it is. <laughs> apparently high schools have swim teams. That's like a very big thing. Interesting. Yeah.
0: But yeah. So he made sure that. African-Americans were allowed to swim in the pool so they could actually do the swimming test instead of just getting default passes because they didn't want black people in the pool, <laughs> which is messed up. Yeah. In 1935, the National Association of Basketball Coaches, which was created by Naismith's pupil, Fog Allen, collected money so that the 74-year-old Naismith could attend the 1936 Olympics in Berlin. Aww. The summer games would be the first to feature basketball as an official sport. I think that's really cute. It's sad that it's the Nazi Olympics, but um, it's nice that he got to go. <laughs> sure was the yeah. Nazi Olympics. We're going to focus on the good stuff. And yeah. they raised money so this 74-year-old guy could go to Berlin that's to really watch nice. his sport.
1: That's really nice.
0: Once he was there, Naismith was the person who awarded the gold, silver, and bronze medals. Uh, United States won gold, Canada mm-hmm. won silver, and Mexico won bronze. Wow. Which is interesting because it's, like, radiating outward, you know what I mean? Yeah. So the, it's born in the United States geographically, and then the two neighboring countries are the ones yeah. that win silver and bronze. Interesting. Yeah. During the games, Nate Smith was also named Honorary President of the International Basketball Federation. When Naismith Smith returned, he commented that seeing the game played by many nations was the greatest compensation he could receive for his invention. Smith became a professor emeritus at Kansas University, or University of Kansas, when he retired in 1937 at the age of 76. Including his years coaching, Naismith served as the athletic director and faculty at the school for a total of 40 years. So he uh, worked at the University of Kansas for 40 years.
1: I had no idea. I really didn't... I... Yeah. I mean, I knew that he was Canadian, and I knew that basketball was created in the United States, Yeah. But I didn't realize that he... Kind of built a life there and did other things there. That's
0: really cool. Yeah, and he was so respected afterwards. Yeah, like, I, which 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 makes sense. Even and though it's he nice, was the, but, worst <laughs> in though the worst coach, even though he's the worst coach in Kansas. University of Kansas history, they yeah. still loved him. <laughs> Naismith died in 1939 after he suffered a fatal brain hemorrhage. He was survived by his five children and his second wife, who he married earlier that year. <laughs> so short marriage. <laughs> His mass- uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure exactly when his first wife died, but he pretty quickly married a second wife afterwards and then he died, which also means he got married at 76. Yeah. I feel like that's just lingering elements of an older way of life that just survived into the kind of modern era a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> like today you probably wouldn't do that. But I don't know. Maybe you did. Who knows? Yeah. I don't
1: know. Unless you're like.
0: Do you? A Playboy
1: bunny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Looking>.
0: <laughs> um his masterwork, Basketball, Its Origin and Development, which served partly as a history of basketball and partly as an autobiography, so that's the book I was quoting throughout the podcast. Right. Was published posthumously in nineteen forty one. Originally, Naismith wrote just 13 rules for the sport of basketball compared to now the NBA's 66-page (laughs) rulebook. In his honor, the NBA Hall of Fame is called the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame and is located in the birthplace of basketball in Springfield, Massachusetts. Naismith was also the inaugural inductee of the Hall of Fame. The NCAA also honors Naismith by handing out the Naismith Awards for Player, Coach, and Prep Player of the Year. Following basketball's Olympic debut in 1936, women's basketball was added in 1976 at the Montreal Summer Olympics. It sure was. Back to Canada. (laughs) The FIBA Basketball World Cup trophy is called the James Naismith Trophy in his honor. Basketball today is played by more than 300 million people worldwide, making it one of the most popular team sports Mm -hmm. in existence. That's That's crazy. So on December 10th, 2010, skipping forward, (laughs) Naismith's original handwritten rules were put up for auction by the Naismith International Basketball Foundation and fetched $4.3 million, which is a record for sports memorabilia. That's insane to me.
1: For his rules that allowed for
0: a brawl on a gymnasium floor. A (laughs) full-on melee. (laughs) These rules are useless, (laughs) but let's spend... How much did you say? $4.3 million, and I think that's U.S. dollars.
1: Yeah.
0: The documents were purchased by an American businessman, David Booth, uh, a native of Lawrence, Kansas, who donated them to the University of Kansas where they are currently displayed. So that's kind of cool. That's just really like, nice. Yeah. They, they they're where they belong. Profits from the sale went to support Naismith International Basketball Foundations. That's so cool. Yeah. And that's the story of James Naismith and the invention of basketball.
1: He sounds like a he sounds like a guy who is very was R.I.P. <laughs> Because as we know about this podcast...
0: Everybody we're talking about is dead.
1: Everybody's dead. But there was no murder in this episode. There was a murder. There was
0: World War One. There was. There was um, a lot of murder. But,
1: <laughs> but he sounds like the type of guy who... Is very proud of his accomplishments. But really did want to help people. And really yeah. did want to be um, the best version of himself. And help others be the best versions of themselves.
0: Yeah, like... Even though... His autobiography is a little pretentious. It, it doesn't feel pretentious in the sense that he's full of himself. It's that he genuinely believed everything that he was doing was so righteous. Was and I don't mean that in good. a negative way. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think everything he did, he did with the mindset of improving the lives of young men. Right. Which is, which is great. I like that a lot. Right. And uh, I love that even as basketball is becoming a crazy popular sport, he's just like, but what about wrestling? Right. <laughs> like, he doesn't value it the same way other people do, which, I don't know, there's just something very charming about that. I
1: think, I think. yeah. And, and as I said before, I mean, it's a little bit, not disappointing, but I'm like, oh, gosh, you did this great thing. Like, why aren't you super excited about it? But it also is, it, it's just kind of nice to know that he was a real guy who was just trying to do... The best that he could do to create something for people to play and enjoy. And then, you know, that was just a thing that he did. And he didn't see it as being a huge, big deal.
0: Yeah, and I never saw anything that was, like, money gouging, essentially. Like, he's never asking for, like, I want cuts of this organization. I want to be a stockholder in this because I invented the sport. Like, he's just so happy that he has the job as the director of physical education at right. a university he's like yeah. that's everything i'd ever want and then he sees nations playing this game that he yeah. invented at the olympics and he's like that's the most amazing compensation that's yeah. all i could ever want all i could ever ask for Aww. So yeah well
1: this was a nice one yeah. this we was went from hucking rocks
0: to playing basketball we sure did <laughs> So that's this week's episode of Minute Women. As always, you should rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast wherever you're listening to it, whether that be Google Music Podcasts or Spotify or iTunes.
1: Yeah, and again, thank you so much, Grace, for educating me furthermore on (laughs) our Canadian heritage. I appreciate it as always, and I hope our viewers do too.
0: Yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks, and guys. yeah, if you want to keep up to date with what we're doing between episodes, follow us on Instagram at Minute Women Podcast. Follow us on Facebook, same handle, and you can also follow us on Twitter. We haven't been as active on Twitter, uh, but we're gonna we're gonna remedy that. So the Twitter is just at the Minute Women. Yeah,
1: we're gonna work hard on maintaining all our social medias, so you can see <laughs> how much fun we have in the studio, and maybe we'll do a feature on Mark, our amazing
0: producer. Someday you'll see this face. Someday. someday. <laughs> okay. Thanks, guys. Bye.